Good morning. All those who are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord. New Testament reading today will be Isaiah 25, chapter 6 through 9, page 586. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will shout, swallow up all on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Old Testament reading today, in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 17 through 34, verses 17 through 34, page 959. But in the following instructions, I do not command you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in that, and then believe it in part, for there must be a functions among you in order for that those are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord is an unworthy, in an unworthy manner will, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the privilege of coming together as your people for the express purpose of meeting with you, of worshiping you. We thank you that you hear us, and we pray now that you will enable us to hear you as we consider your word together. Speak to us, each one, what we need to hear, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
as um, <clears throat> Pastor Foster's assistant, I get to meet with him monthly. He used to meet with me, now I meet with him. <laughs> and last month we, um, we met as we uh, usually do, and uh, in the course of conversation he asked me if I would preach today, and then we got talking about that and uh, he thought that rather than speaking directly from the lectionary, as we usually do, that I address the subject of Holy Communion, and so that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Now, Holy Communion was always a somewhat fearful thing for me when I was a young Christian. Um, I remember being admonished that I should examine myself and see if there was any sin there and confess, and I was worried that there might be some sins that I didn't get confessed. And um, we, um, we were reminded that to come to the Lord's table unworthily would result in eating and drinking judgment to ourselves. It was a rather, rather fearsome thing. But you know, this overall feel of communion was, was faulty because it fostered a morbid introspection and a sense of fear. There was little sense of Holy Communion being a means of receiving God's grace. There was a sense that Holy Communion was for those who were sufficiently holy rather than for those who were sufficiently aware of their sin and of their need of God's grace at the table. So let's be very clear, right? Holy Communion is for sinners, it's for those who need God's grace it's for those who recognize that Jesus went to the cross and took our sins upon himself and paid the penalty for all of our sin and in exchange has given to us his righteousness, his perfect record of obedience to all of God's law so that we are holy and blameless in God's sight now and forever. That's the gospel. That's what we celebrate when we come to the Lord's table. But it is possible to go to the opposite extreme and fail to take seriously Paul's warning here in our text. And so I want us to look again at this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, especially verse 29, and ask ourselves, what is Paul referring to in this verse when he says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself? More specifically, what does it mean to discern or to recognize the body of our Lord? Well, a very common answer uh, to this is to say that we are to discern, to recognize the body of our Lord in the sacrament itself. That is to say that when we see the bread, we recognize the flesh of Christ. When we see the cup, the wine, we recognize the blood of Christ. And certainly Paul's reference here, this you can see right in the middle of this whole text is this very familiar passage for I, I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. That, that I'm not. And so we have this statement, this rehearsal of what Jesus did. And so certainly that is the part of it and it's what is in Paul's mind. But this is not Paul's primary focus in our text. The primary answer to our question, what does it mean to discern the body of the Lord is that we are to discern the body of Christ, which is the church. The church is 
the body of Christ. We could take quite a bit of time here and look up many, many references that declare this very thing to be true, that the church, we are the body of Christ. Now, today is Pentecost Sunday, and on this Sunday, we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit to his church. And the great work of the Holy Spirit is to unite people to believers as one in the church. And we see this very clearly on Pentecost when the apostles start speaking in the tongues of many different people. There are people, it says, from all ends of the earth are gathered there, and they hear, each one, hear them speaking the glories of God in their own, in their own language. And I like to refer to this event in, in Pentecost as the anti-Babel, because at Babel is where God divided the peoples as by, get, by confusing their languages, right? And so the genealogies we see in the book of Genesis, we see these people, all different parts of the world, and it all starts with the division that came from the dividing of the languages. But here on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit enables all of these people to actually understand and to hear everything in their own language. And so it is the anti-Babel brought about by the Holy Spirit as he brings people together from all different backgrounds. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that through the Spirit, both Jew and Gentiles have access to the Father. We're told that through the Spirit, we are the temple of God. In chapter 3, Paul unpacks the mystery of the gospel, which is that Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Here it is, members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ. And so it is that Paul then, when he moves into the fourth chapter, he says, make every effort to keep, here it is, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now here in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is also speaking of the church as the body of Christ, particularly when it comes together for the Lord's Supper. In this passage, uh, Paul is speaking about uh, the Lord's Supper as a complete meal, uh, which was very common in the early church. Sometimes it's referred to as a love feast. People came together, they had a meal together, and then in the midst of that meal, there was the sacrament, uh, the sacramental meal, the breaking of the bread and wine. It was very common in the, old, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament age. But notice what's happening at these meals. We read in verse 20 and following, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And the fact that this is a big meal uh, is, is, is seen because at the very end he says, so my, so my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for another. If anyone's hungry, let them eat at home. And what was happening, it seems, if we read between the lines, that those were well-to-do, perhaps rich, came with their filet mignons and their fine aged wines. And then there were the poor who came with nothing. And unlike our meals here where everybody brings it and puts it on the table, we all get to eat it, they all just kind of went and separated, and these poor Christians uh, had, um, had nothing. The offending Corinthians were failing to discern the poor Christians as the body of Christ. Imagine if Christ had been there personally and visibly. I think those same people would have treated Jesus 
a lot differently than they did the poor members of the church. But Christ was there. His body was there, not only in the sacrament of the bread and the wine, but also in the church gathered around that bread and wine. You see, their failure to love and be united with their brothers and sisters in Christ, which result, it resulted in their sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And that's the entire burden that Paul has in his mind as he contemplates the communion services at this church when they gather. We see that word, when you gather, at the very beginning of verse 17, when you come together. Um, verse, uh, verse 18, when you come together, right? And then at the very end, when you come together. So there's a sense, when you come together, I don't have anything good to say. What you're celebrating here is not the Lord's Supper because of what is going on in the midst of there. Now, this issue of unity in communion uh, is a, a matter of unity with this matter of unity and division of the church. It's actually a theme all throughout the book of, of, uh, of 1 Corinthians. But even in Holy Communion, the most sacred part of the church's life as a community, even that is marred by divisions. Brothers and sisters, it is imperative for us to grasp that unity and love within the church <clears throat> across the lines of race and class is at the heart of Holy Communion. It is at the heart of the gospel. Communion is a declaration of the gospel that through Christ we are reconciled to God, but we are also reconciled to each other across the lines of race or social class or, or culture or age or all of the other things that bring division among people. Unity and love within the body of Christ is at the heart of Holy Communion, communion with God and with each other. <clears throat> now this is actually very clearly seen right from the earliest days of the church. The Didache, which is one of the earliest documents that we have, um, it, which is the, it, it's, it's the first line of it is the Lord's teaching through the apostle um, to, the, to the Gentiles, which is in itself a very interesting introduction to the Didache. But it was written in the second century, and in it we read, Every Lord's day of the Lord, come together to break bread and give thanks, first confessing your sins that your sacrifice may be pure. And here it is. Every one that has a dispute with his companion shall not come together with you until they be reconciled that your sacrifice not be defiled. One of the classic books, one of the most helpful books I've ever read on the history and the development of worship from the earliest days of the church is called The Shape of the Liturgy, written by Gregory Dix. And he writes in that book about the kiss of peace which throughout the early centuries of the church was exchanged by worshipers just before Holy Communion. It's the, the biblical basis, of course, for this is, is the repeated exhortations to greet one another with a holy kiss or, or the kiss of love. The early church incorporated and formalized this teaching within the communion liturgy by having a point in the celebration where people exchanged the kiss of peace. Gregory Dix notes that great pains were taken by the church lest the kiss of peace degenerate into a mere formality. 
He writes, the unity, listen to this, the unity of the church as the body of Christ, which ever since St. Paul's day has been understood as the essence of the sacrament, there it is, can be violated by personal disputes among its members, as well as by formal ecclesiastical schisms. It was the duty of the bishop and the presbyters to mediate in all such dispute between members of their own church, and regular sessions were held for this purpose. The Syrian didascalia of the apostles, or the teaching of the apostle, orders them to, quote, let your judgments be held on the second day of the week, do it early in the week, that if in perchance, that if perchance any should contest the sentence of your words, you know, the, the, the decision, you may have space until the Sabbath to compose the matter and may make peace between them on Sunday. A little later, he writes, all of this care for the interior charity, that is to say the interior, the inner love of these members, found its expression and test week by week in the giving of the liturgical kiss of peace among the faithful before the Eucharist, the great Thanksgiving Holy Communion. In the East, in the third century, a deacon from beside the bishop's thrones cried aloud while the kiss was actually being exchanged. So you see the saying that everybody is exchanging the kiss of peace. And he says, is there any man that holds anything against his, his fellow? This was a final precaution so that even at the last moment the bishop might make peace between, between them. By the fourth century, this question had become stereotyped into the warning by the deacon, let none keep rancor against any, let none give the kiss in hypocrisy. In this connection, the early fathers of the church often cited Matthew 5, 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Brothers and sisters, we cannot come to Holy Communion with any less concern for our unity. In our communion liturgy, just before receiving the elements of the bread, and of the wine, we exchange the peace of the Lord with a handshake or a hug, the equivalent of exchanging the kiss of peace. And you see, this passing of the peace is a declaration that we do not look down on or hold ill will in our hearts toward brothers and sisters gathered here around the table of the Lord. Just before we pass the peace, we, receive, we recite the Lord's Prayer together. We say, in it, we say, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin uh, against us. And, um, and, and, you, and, and it's just, and the, so you can see how, how central the exchange of the peace is in Holy Communion, because having prayed that, we then declare ourselves to be at peace, not only with God, but also with each other. This is nothing less than discerning the body of the Lord. This is why before, before the peace, the minister says, God forgives us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Let us celebrate the peace that we have with God and with one another as we exchange the peace of our, of our Lord. You see, this is a true gesture of blessing each other 
when we say the peace of the Lord be with you. But it's also a symbolic gesture that we are at peace. We cannot be harboring bitterness and resentment in our hearts. We cannot be looking down on. We cannot be gossiping and backbiting, yet stand here and declare ourselves to be at peace with God and with each other. And so, dear friends, and dear sisters and brothers, in this expression of the body, which we call Grace Church, let us come to Sunday worship celebrating our union with Christ and with each other as members of his body, but most especially, let us always come to the table of the Lord, discerning the body of the Lord.